0: Welcome to Faith in Politics. As Christians, we believe our faith should have an effect on every area of our lives, and this includes our politics. But how does this look when it is lived out in public life? How does it affect how we think about particular issues? And how do we put our faith into action? Here at Faith in Politics, we want to explore these questions through interviews with public figures and through biblical monthly musings on particular issues. Welcome to episode three of Faith in Politics. Cameron, how are things going with you?
1: Not too bad, thanks, Rosella. I'm a a little bit stressed about the general election. We're recording this before the general election. You might be listening in the future, after the 12th of December, and I'm very jealous of the knowledge that you now possess. Maybe, maybe you're listening far in... The, maybe you're in 2025 still listening to Faith in Politics. I hope people are still listening to Faith in Politics. I'm sure they are. in the future.
0: Yeah, it'd be a nice historical artefact by then.
1: Yeah, G- GCSE students trying to learn about what was happening in politics in 2019 by listening to us. I think that's that's perfectly plausible. Uh, what were we doing this month, Brezaha?
0: Oh, we went to the Methodist Youth Conference. That was quite exciting. We had a chance to kind of chat to some young people about how they can get involved in politics, how they can speak to their MPs. We encourage them to write Christmas cards to their candidates, which was really sweet to see them sending really nice messages. What are we doing this week on Faith in Politics, Cameron?
1: Well, we interviewed Indigit Bogal, who was the recent recipient of the World Methodist Council Peace Award. Is that what it's called?
0: I think so, yeah.
1: <laughs> and he is just the most lovely guy, vastly intelligent. He's got a PhD, he's been a Methodist minister, but just so wise. And it was really wonderful listening to him, wasn't it? He had a great way about him. So let's listen to what Indigit had to say about Welcome. Indigit, thank you very much for joining us. First of all, I believe a congratulations is in order because you've recently received the World Methodist Council Peace Award, Uh, very deservedly, I might add, as well. You're a Methodist minister, theologian, community organiser, amongst other things. Can you tell us a little bit about your story to give
2: our listeners a sense of who you are? Thank you very much, and thank you for your affirmation and encouragement. Um, So I've been a, a minister now for... A number of years. <laughs> I've retired after 42 years in ministry. Next year it's 40 years since I was ordained wow. and the ministry has taken me to different parts of the British Isles including working in Northern Ireland uh, for a while in Yorkshire uh, where I live now in Sheffield. I was the chief executive of Yorkshire and Humber Faith Forum which was formed following the 7-7 bomb attacks in London to try and bring communities of different faiths together. I was director of the Urban Theology Unit for 10 years and in Wolverhampton I was coordinator of the Interfaith Group. The Wolverhampton Interfaith Group is the first one ever to come into being in this country uh, and I had a bit of a hand in uh, in doing that while I was a teenager I was involved in uh, the kind of formation of the first interfaith group in this country now there are over 300 so a mixture of straightforward circuit ministry and some specialist pieces of work as well I wish we had time to go into all of those different parts but if we
1: focus on a couple yeah, yeah.
0: yes I think one of the things we've heard you've been involved in is the Cities of Sanctuary. Um, So I was wondering if you could explain a bit more about what Cities of Sanctuary are and kind of how this scheme developed.
2: Okay, Um, City of Sanctuary is something I initiated in Sheffield in 2005, and Sheffield became UK's first City of Sanctuary in 2007. And since then, over a hundred cities and towns and villages are following the vision and there are schools and universities and hospitals and so on of sanctuary. Um, The basic idea is to develop cultures of welcome and hospitality and safety. One of the harsh realities of our times is what has come to be known as uh, the environment of hostility, which is actually a part of central strategy uh, it has come to light in government. And how do you relate to that? You know, what's our answer to one strategy which is about creating a culture of hostility? And that's really about putting people off coming to this country. Uh, it's, it's a part of the reduction of immigration into Britain. So what's our answer to that? Uh, I would say um, the answer to creation of the environment of hostility is to build a culture of hospitality um, and where does that come from well it's at the the core of all faiths actually not just Christian faith all faiths uh, have at their core the call to be uh, people of compassion and hospitality um, but in the in the Christian tradition I've drawn on the Hebrew concept in for example, Numbers uh, and Joshua, where there is the idea of cities of refuge. Cities of refuge came into being when uh, the children of Israel were coming out of Egypt, uh, 40 years in the wilderness, people fall out with each other, and they developed a simple formula for living with each other, which was only an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Um, which really is about proportionality, you don't use more force than is used against you and that's still being used today uh, as a concept, but there's always been people who if you've hurt them slightly they want to hurt you a bit more, so there were people who if they took your eye they'd be those who'd want to in revenge take your life, to prevent that kind of injustice God said to Moses, set up six cities of refuge so that if there's anybody whose life is in danger while their case is being processed they could go to such a city and they would be safe there. And I began to think uh, in our cultures of uh, hostility towards um, the most vulnerable amongst us who are refugees and those seeking sanctuary that we need cities of refuge. We need places where people uh, who are already hurting before they came here, that when they come here, we will treat them with dignity and honour and ensure they have welcome and hospitality and safety. So um, Sheffield City has a great tradition of people coming from other countries. And there are many organisations working alongside refugees. And I, I engaged with them all celebrated what they were doing and I said if we work together, all the organizations, um, we would, we could build a culture of welcome and hospitality in our city and I shared the idea of cities of refuge and said what about Sheffield being a city of refuge, we'll call it a city of sanctuary. The way it will work is a bit like a fair trade city, if so many people buy and sell and serve fair trade you become a fair trade city. So I said if we can get lots of organisations to work together, pledge to work together to build cultures of welcome and hospitality. We could be a city of sanctuary, especially if our local council supported this as well. So that was in 2005 when I shared the idea. And I thought we, we would have a strategy for 10 years. By 2015, we'd be a city of sanctuary. But two years after we started, there was such a momentum such an engagement with the vision that Sheffield was declared UK's first city of sanctuary and then others started to say how can we do this and it's really uh, the idea has grown since. That's great,
0: you mentioned about how hostility has been like a sign of the the times at the moment, I was wondering how, how have the trends of that increased, decreased, how has that been shifting?
2: Yeah well, I've lived in this country now for over 50 years and, you know, there is a sense that some people say because of the the whole uh, conversation around Brexit that there is, um, uh, you know, people are uh, being more racist. I don't think people are being more racist. Um, I think they're being openly Racist racism mm. has been there for a long time. I can remember when I first came to Britain in 1964, people saying to me, "England for the English," you know. That's the kind of thing people say now. There are people who who have, think that and believe that and either practice that, and there are political parties who are kind of founded on that kind of premise. Premise. So, so I don't think things have got worse in some way what's happened is it's almost become legitimated no sanctioned and sadly by the way many people in positions of leader uh, leadership speak they've made it okay for others to be hostile Um, and that's that's uh, the difference i think
0: i guess on that then we're interested to consider how the church can still be a place of sanctuary amongst that?
2: Yeah, um, so I'm, I'm currently uh, working with churches together in Britain and Ireland to promote the idea of church of sanctuary. So what's a church of sanctuary? It, it just grows from the idea of city of sanctuary. Um, a church of sanctuary is a place, a congregation, which intentionally and deliberately Um, goes out of its way to be a community of welcome and hospitality and safety for everyone Um, and so what that means is that they really really work hard at uh, doing all they can to listen to those who are different to meet with those who are different to to meet with people who are from other countries especially those who have recently arrived refugees, people seeking sanctuary. Because the alarm is really about all these people who seem to be heading this way. Well, there is a trickle of the world's 68 million, you know, displaced people who are heading to Britain, a tiny trickle. And um, 90% of the people who are refugees today are Looking for sanctuary because they come from a country that's in conflict or close to conflict. So their houses have been destroyed, their lives have been you know, uh, damaged, and, and they are looking for safety. And of those 68 million or so, uh, about 1% of them come to Britain. It's a small uh, number. But the way the people are presented, refugees are presented, is that it seems like they're all heading this way. That's the kind of imagery that's given. It's a mythology and so it's important to, instead of everybody else always talking about immigrants, let the immigrants, let the refugees speak for themselves. So I mean, particularly in rural areas, you know, where people say, well, we don't have any refugees here, it's not an issue for us. But actually the attitudes there need to be looked at. So how do you challenge attitudes of people in remote parts of Britain uh, which are deeply prejudiced? Try and engage with refugees. That means, yeah, either go to places where they are or invite uh, somebody who's... Come from another country to come and talk with you to listen to them to hear their story um, and and that's a very important first part of what it is to be a church of sanctuary uh, and to m- not allow your opinions to be formed by hostility but by the concept of hospitality secondly i would say yeah sometimes it's possible for a handful of people in the congregation to be all welcoming and so on, but I want the whole congregation to be like that. So the whole culture of the congregation, the ethos of the congregation should be one of welcome and hospitality and safety for all. So everyone should be involved. No, talk about it in the church council, in the general meetings of the church uh, and in worship, so that it's not a conversation that happens with two or three uh, enthusiasts who then try to persuade everyone else. It ought to be a a whole congregation um, uh, initiative. And then thirdly, I would say, if you're doing all that, then uh, be proud about it. Tell others about it. Put it on your website. Don't do this under the radar in an embarrassed way, but be glad you're doing that because this is what it is to be a follower of Christ and to be a Christian congregation. I, I don't think I'm asking people to do anything uh, that's different to what they ought to be doing anyway. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's it's just about being church. Every church should be a church of sanctuary.
1: One of the other things you're involved with is being president of the Methodist Peace Fellowship. Yes. This is a, a group of Christian pacifists why does your faith prompt you to think that
2: peace involves the renunciation of all conflict? Well, okay. Um Methodist Peace Fellowship um has existed for around a hundred years now. Um it it started with conscientious objectors who were renouncing weapons, refusing to take up weapons. Um And uh, one of the initiators of the Methodist Peace Fellowship was a man called Henry Carter, a Methodist minister, who worked quite a lot with refugees coming from Germany during the Second War. And so there's a big connection between um, uh, the, the, the high numbers of refugees and to work for peace. Why is that? Because, as I said already, 90% of people who are refugees in our world today are refugees as a result of conflict. So I think there's a big connection between refugees and peace. So what's the long term solution to um, there being refugees uh, in the world? I don't think the long term solution is hospitality. That's a short term solution. We should be hospitable to people who are in need now long term we need to build a world that is peaceful so that people don't have to leave their homes in the first place, because nobody wants to leave their home. And, and that, that really is how it started. And, and, and I would say that continues to be the emphasis of Methodist Peace Fellowship. I think it's important to say that working for peace is not about renouncing conflict conflict is a fact of life, conflict happens. The important thing is to look at how you respond to conflict, how you manage conflict, how you deal with it and Methodist Peace Fellowship will will insist that we look for ways of dealing with conflict in non-violent ways. It is a crazy thing that today Britain earns more money from selling arms then it gives in aid. Oh, that's unjust and unacceptable and I would say in the almost the middle of the 21st century now war is out-of-date, expensive and uh, unacceptable way of dealing with conflict. We should by now not be spending the amounts of money we do on weaponry. Let's look at a world without weapons and a world in which we learn war no more, but learn how to make peace.
1: Finally, a question we like to ask all our guests, particularly as we approach a new parliament. If you could ask a question in Prime Minister's Questions, whoever our Prime
2: Minister may be, what would you want to ask? A great deal of um, emphasis and conversation in the run up to election is about immigration yeah you know, it seems to be the hot potato for all parties and all the parties the main parties seem to be in competition about who can be the most strict and the most mean in terms of uh, developing immigration policies which is about you know who can Uh, say that we we are going to be best at limiting the number of people coming into this country or or even stopping you know so all these tens of thousands rather than hundreds of thousands it's all about how you reduce the numbers i want to ask the prime minister to be what will you do to help us to be less afraid of those who are different from us to be less fearful And what policies will you develop which will be about treating people who come here well and with hospitality and to make sure they are treated as human beings? I think that's a pertinent and profound question to end
1: on. Indigit, thank you so much for joining us.
0: So that was really great to hear from Indigit and he has just got a real piece about him, um, which is hopefully quite infectious. I think it was quite worrying perhaps to hear how how he's been in this industry for so long and actually that that there is a growing hostility towards refugees and people seeking asylum here, which is um yeah, it's a real shame. So I think we're gonna spend some time musing on how how as a church we can we could extend a, a good welcome to people. I think most of the church would largely agree we should be doing this, but actually I think in practice we might not be the best at it.
1: Okay so let's jump into our musing. When me and Roselle were thinking about what we were going to chat about, we were conscious that we didn't want to go down the line of just why welcoming refugees is a good thing, because Jesus was a refugee, therefore Christians should welcome people from elsewhere. Yeah. <laughs> so we felt that was a fairly, it's not it's not incorrect, of course, but it's a fairly well-worn mm-hmm. path that's been trodden. So we wanted to go a bit deeper than that and think about how broader attitudes towards diversity and difference in the church link in. Is that about right?
0: Yeah. So I started off with a bit of research into, into the idea of diversity in the church and whether, whether we're any good at it, I guess. And... I mean, I was quite surprised by the results, but um, I don't think you've... You've not seen these statistics, have you? So I haven't, no. no. Um, I'm wondering if you'd hazard a guess at what percentage of churches in the UK have diversity of less than 5%. Diversity
1: in terms of... of F- yeah. I think diversity yeah. Ugh, I guess it would be pretty high.
0: <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. um, I'll go for 70%.
0: Yeah, so... so Close. Yeah, it's eighty percent. Wow. Um, so that means only twenty percent of churches in the UK have more than more of a social mixing than about five percent. Um, so often this data was saying that would just be like one family um, because a lot of churches are fairly small. So five percent might reflect one family that isn't the same ethnic group as the rest of the church, um, which is crazy. Um, I think having grown up in Bolton. It's a lot more diverse than that, so to me that seems quite crazy. I was looking at, therefore, the rest of the UK. So in the UK, 17% of the population is non-white. So the fact that our churches are, in general, not reflecting that, and actually maybe only 5% of individual churches are non-white or or vice versa, um, shows that we're not mixing as well as the makeup of the population is. And I think that does reflect broader trends in the UK of our inability to mix with people who are different to ourselves. There was some research done on attitudes to immigrants and refugees, and it found that 84% of the population thought that people coming to move to the UK must commit to the way of life in Britain. Whatever that is. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) yeah, whatever it means to commit. I don't know really what people would mean by that, but it seems like the vast majority of our population think that's important.
1: Yeah, and I suppose if 84% of the population think that if need mm-hmm. to commit to British values, then the 16% all aren't all going to be in the church, that that's going to include a lot of Christians as well, isn't it? So if we're professing that we're so welcoming as a church, that, as we said earlier, that most churches probably would want to accept refugees and asylum seekers, then why is it still the case that we don't seem to be welcoming in terms of the makeup of our church in the way we approach difference more generally what might be the the causes of that
0: yeah i guess in the uk our faith is so entangled with our culture and as we look back historically the church has reflected this white savior narrative and that still goes on today so we see that churches are quite happily send out their youth groups to go and build a school in um in rural africa somewhere and it's just crazy to think that that would not be okay here you wouldn't be on board with having some teenagers with no experience building your child's school where they're going to be sat doing their um their work every day like that just seems crazy but we'll be quite happy to hold a bake sale and fundraise for that activity and we have this view that yeah people who are not white british are people to to help and we'll we'll save them that's the kind of idea of this white savior complex
1: yeah and i guess that wanting to accept refugees in our churches doesn't doesn't let us off the hook for not also challenging those conscious or subconscious colonial attitudes that have been so much a part of our history. Well, when I say our history, white British history, and th- those attitudes have historically been the causes of unrest in some of the regions from which refugees are now fleeing, and which also make the lives of people of colour harder in Britain generally. And I guess it links in with a broader problem of we're often quite good at meeting an immediate need of someone or a group of people without also challenging the structural dynamics that, that are at play. Mm, yeah. So I guess the question is, by, by not reckoning with these dynamics by expecting people perhaps to assimilate, which those those stats mm. um, indicated, what are we missing out on?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think it, it does go back to the idea of our, our culture is so entangled with our faith and that comes from being a country that's had Christian roots and we almost forget what it is to be British and what it is to be a Christian and they get kind of mixed up together. Um, so we have, you know, Christmas cards with a blonde hair, blue eyed baby Jesus on the front, and obviously that's just not not the reality. But it happens on a more, on a deeper level, I think, in things like the way we read the Bible. So we see verses like, I guess, the classic one might be things like um, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, where it says, "For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you." And we read that through this individualistic lens that fits our culture that. Oh, that's about me and plans for me and um, actually that's not the reality of what that verse means i was reading something recently about it said like you need to have spiritual fervor and kind of that idea of being passionate about the gospel and obviously i think that's a good thing but reading that as an individual it's like well I'm, i've not always got that passion but actually if we read it as a collectively as a church maybe we do actually have that that passion together as a church and we need to read it in that way, to know that if someone's struggling and someone's facing doubt, that there's other people within the church that can help them and encourage them. And it's not a case of, oh, you're, you're failing because you're, you're struggling right now. You've not got enough zeal right now. Um, so yeah, I think learning from other cultures that are perhaps less individualistic as just one example is a way that we can we can benefit from diversity.
1: And if we expect people to assimilate rather than engage Mm. in that dialogue with them, then then we miss out on those fruitful other perspectives. In terms of biblical themes that we can pick up on that might contribute to this discussion, what have you been thinking about?
0: Yeah, so there's there's a, a narrative throughout the Bible that tells us about diversity. So we start off with the story of Babel and how before that, everyone could speak the same language and we're united and we're working together but not not for a great purpose and then division comes in when they can't speak the same language and we see that now today that people who who are separated by language there is a natural struggle there of kind of having that personal relationship and yet then we see at Pentecost when suddenly um, Peter speaks and everyone can hear hear the gospel in their own language and I think that's that's amazing that gift of tongues that we see there that it's not a case of everyone can suddenly understand you'll know what, what language would Peter have been speaking? <laughs>
1: Aramaic, I think
0: <laughs> Aramaic, we'll go with that um, it's not suddenly everyone could understand Aramaic and everyone was united around this common language it's that God used their own language to meet with them personally and there's, there's a real beauty in that, and we see in Revelation this idea of all tribes all nations, all tongues coming together to worship Jesus together and I think it's really great that we see that as this this picture of diversity that's something to be celebrated it's better than us all being the same
1: yeah in the sense that being one in christ doesn't entail the abolition of other identities of diversity it's about the celebration of diversity the other verse that sprang to mind with me was galatians three twenty-eight, where it's like there is no jew or gentile there is no man or woman but i don't think what paul was getting at there was that those categories just don't exist anymore and that there is now one singular homogenous Christian that we're all subsumed into. It's about saying that those categories are no longer a barrier to full participation in the flourishing of life.
0: Yeah, I think that's good, that idea that we don't want to be a homogenous group, that being made in the body of Christ is is to be different, and that's a good thing.
1: I suppose linking back to our interview with Indigit, If we are professing to be a welcoming place for refugees, asylum seekers, immigrants, but if we are still expecting people to become British, to take on traditional British values, whatever they are, usually white ones, and if we don't come to terms with our privileges then it's not a true welcome because we're not truly celebrating the diversity that is in the body of
0: Christ. Okay so now is the time where we consider what action we can take off the back of the themes discussed in this podcast. Um, To start off with I'd really recommend heading to the Churches Together website and that has a guide on how your church can become a church of sanctuary if that's what you're interested in. Um, Also Indigit mentions the culture of hostility and the idea of the hostile environment and if you head to the JPIT website there's loads of great resources on that. Um, That's something that I've only recently heard something about and it's really quite shocking so I'd recommend trying to engage with that. And finally, as it's Christmas, there's also a video that JPIT produced a few years ago around refugees and the hostile environment. It's called A Very British Nativity, and it's well worth a watch and a share if you haven't seen it before.
1: Yes, and as always, we'll post the links to those resources on our social media accounts, which if you don't follow already, why not get on there and give us a follow? We're on Instagram at faithinpoliticspodcast, that's all one word, and our Twitter handle is at FIP underscore podcast. Give us a follow, tell us what you thought of the episode, and share the abundant wisdom which I'm sure is present among our listenership. If you enjoy this podcast and appreciate what we do, you could really help us out by doing a couple of things. If it's possible to leave a rating or review on whichever podcast app you use, then please do that if you do indeed enjoy Faith in Politics. The second thing which would massively help us out is is to tell people about the podcast. We'd love more Christians to be excited about and equipped to engage in politics through what we do here. So if you would feel comfortable pointing people towards us on social media, or even in person, if you still interact with people non-virtually, then we would appreciate that hugely.
0: Thank you for listening to Faith in Politics, a podcast brought to you by the Joint Public Issues Team of the Baptist Union of Great Britain, the Church of Scotland and the Methodist and United Reformed Churches. We hope you'll join us again next time. To close, we have a final prayer from Gail Adcock from the Methodist Church's Children, Youth and Family team. Welcoming God, thank you for your
1: ever-open arms, for the sanctuary which is your everlasting embrace available to all. But Father, we acknowledge and repent of the times where we have not extended the welcome you provide to us to others, for the times our welcome has been superficial, for when we have met an immediate need without addressing the structural one. Guide your church to be a place of sanctuary for those fleeing conflict and to be a force for peace so that the need for that sanctuary lessens. Jesus, Prince of Peace, in your name we pray. Amen.